we get calls all the time from would-be buyers that would like to do a deal that are looking to grow by acquisition. And when you begin to ask them, so what's your secret sauce? What is it that differentiates you from your competition? Said another way, why would or should an advisor or a business sell themselves to you? What is it you're going to do to help them get there faster, whatever their there is, or grow or hit their goals faster or better or more efficiently than somebody else? It's amazing to me how many people can answer that question. Because just because you want to buy doesn't mean you should buy or you're going to be successful doing so. Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. So this is another best of episode, and uh, we're calling this one the best of RAA women. And I've got to say up front that, frankly, we could have just called this best uh, deal makers in the RAA space because these three uh, people who happen to be women are uh, amazing, amazing uh, dealmakers, uh, advocates of deal-driven growth who help RA firms grow their businesses in different ways. The only reason we highlight it as, uh, you know, as best of RA women is that, frankly, we're in an industry, you know, those of us who spend a lot of time in the RA space, which is a great space, that is still very male-dominated. And it's an area where I think that we need more female and more people of different backgrounds in the space. And I hope that that continues to evolve. So the first excerpt is from Lisa Rapuano's uh, episode. She's the CFO of Facet Wealth. And we had her back on episode 35. And, you know, she is just, I mean, they have a phenomenal model at Facet where they will take your, uh, the clients that don't fit into your ideal profile, whether that's, uh, you know, during a deal, et cetera, maybe you're less profitable, low clients, and they have a model where they can service those clients really well. So she talks about how they help in various types of deals. So definitely you're going to want to hear that. Mindy Diamond is the second excerpt that we took. She was back on episode five, really early of what was then called the Fueling Deals podcast, now Deal Quest. And Mindy is really just really the top, you know, uh, recruiter and deal maker in the industry and putting teams together with firms and practices, uh, both in the independent space and taking them out of banks, warehouse, trust companies and, and having them merge their practice into existing RIA firms. So super excited that uh, we're highlighting Mindy on this episode. And then finally, we have Marianne Buchanan from RAA Match, the founder of RAA Match, which is a, an online uh, you know, service that helps match buyers and sellers in the RAA space. And you know, she just had phenomenal additional insight into getting deals done and the value proposition you need and how you merge cultures. So you're going to get a lot of value from these three uh, people, from these three deal makers, specifically talking about the RAA space. But frankly, if you're not in the RAA space, all of the principles they talk about apply to deals in other spaces as well in any kind of industry. So here is the best of episode with Lisa Rapuano 
Mindy Diamond, and Marianne Buchanan. In a situation where, let's say you're an advisor, you're, you might be starting to think about selling your practice down the road. You might be starting to think about creating a G2, a Generation 2 transition. You're starting to think about your company as more of a business and less of a practice. And you're, you're trying to get your ducks in a row to maximize its value. We're a very good partner at that point of consideration where you start to move toward maximizing the value of your business. Because if you think about like, I mean, Corey, you probably do this all the time, right? You look at an RIA and they got a whole bunch of really small accounts. Their profit margins are going to be lower. The competitive advantage they have with those smaller accounts is going to be smaller because they probably don't give them a ton of service. It's a little bit confusing in their branding because they're talking about how they're an ultra high net worth advisor, but then they got, you know, all these people who are not ultra high net worth and it can be kind of confusing in the community as to what they really do. There's all kinds of reasons that it can be confusing. So you can enter into a partnership with Bassett, as I described before, where we transition the smaller clients over to us and we pay you you know, a couple of years before you're thinking about bringing your company to market, because then when you come to market, you have a very attractive asset. Your margins are higher, you've got some capacity, you probably have some organic growth, and there'll be people lining up to buy you at a pretty high multiple. The other circumstance, which is the midst of transaction advisors, that we can also be helpful, is if you're a buyer, for example, and you find an asset that hasn't gone through that pre-work that I just described, but they've got a nice core there that you really want. So they might have, you know, whatever, $100 million. And of that $100 million, you know, 80 of it is very attractive to you, fits right into your power alley, culturally great. But you got this $20 million of AUM that is just not at all. You really don't want to take it on. We can be a very attractive partner for coming to help you with that, either prior to you buying it or after you're buying it one way or, or, or during, you know, we can structure it in a variety of ways in order to bring those clients to a home like Bassett that is perfect for them and to bring those other clients to your asset manager or your investment manager or your wealth manager in a way that fits perfectly with you. So we can get involved in a variety of ways to maximize the value of practices and also give clients their best home. And both those situations really make sense because, you know, doing as many deals as I do, you know, I often see that come up as an issue where whether it's during the, you know, the buyer doesn't want a certain segment of the clients because the advisor still has those, you know, and hasn't done anything with them, you know, or they, you know, and I love the, the, the other aspect that you brought up where it's one of the ways that a buyer can get prepared for a deal because there's so many, you know, one of these we always talk to people about when they think about selling the company, whether it's, uh, you know, for succession purposes over time or other reasons or whatever it is, is that, you know, there's a lot of things you want to do to prep your company to make sure that you're in the best position to attract the most buyers and also get the highest valuation. And there are things around cleaning up financial statements and getting legal things in place and making sure that you have, you know, the, the better systems you got, securing your key people. And, you know, there's a whole list of things. And this is certainly an important one to, you know, to at least consider adding to the list in advance of a, you know, well in advance of a transaction. That's great. So we just heard from Lisa Rapuano, who again was on episode 35. So definitely listen to that. Go back, listen to that full episode. You know, as you can see, you know, she really talked about how RA firms in particular line up to be in the best position 
to do a deal, right? So whether it's uh, the part of our discussion on how you sort of prune the clients and the business that doesn't align, that's the, not the most profitable, that doesn't put you in the best position to be an attractive uh, target well in advance of being a seller, or whether you're in a deal and the buyer is not interested in a certain segment of your business, but you, one, don't want to leave those clients in the lurch in terms of when you get the deal done, and then two, uh, you know, you want to get some value for them. So, you know, that was phenomenal from Lisa. It's a great segue into Mini Diamond because Mindy really talks about the fact that, uh, you know, that everybody, everybody says they want to be a buyer and uh, doesn't mean they should be. And she has a whole concept around living the best business life. And it's not just, uh, you know, about the economics. So check out Mindy. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to join our DealQuest community group on Facebook. There, you'll have a chance to engage with other entrepreneurs, business owners, executives, and leaders who are looking to grow, do deals, and make a bigger impact. In addition to the great content and community, you can also register there for our conversations, community, and cocktail Zoom calls and the upcoming Deal Den Zoom calls during which you will have the opportunity to brainstorm and get support with deal-driven growth for your company. Now back to the show. There are no shortage of buyers in this industry. Everybody fancies themselves a buyer. You know, to be able to, in our business, to be able to purchase an annuitized stream of revenue. So an advisor or a business whose business is mostly all fee-based is you know, the the golden ticket, the home run, and everybody wants to buy them. So we get calls all the time from would-be buyers that would like to do a deal that are looking to grow by acquisition. And when you begin to ask them, so what's your secret sauce? What is it that differentiates you from your competition? Said another way, why would or should an advisor or a business sell themselves to you? What is it you're going to do to help them get there faster, whatever their there is, or grow or hit their goals faster or better or more efficiently than somebody else? It's amazing to me how many people can answer that question. Because just because you want to buy doesn't mean you should buy or you're going to be successful doing so. Yeah. And it, it, I come across the same thing, Minnie. And it's funny, funny they, you know, uh, uh, in response to that question, they'll often say to me, well, you know, we're, we're a really great place to work and we really care about our clients. <laughs> and I always say to them, do you think anybody else says any different? That's not a differentiator, you know? Right. That's the price of admission. That's the, the threshold, the bottom, the bare requirements, the bare minimum. What's interesting and what's also interesting worth noting is that advisor sentiment has the seller's sentiment has really changed in the last number of years. So one, it's very much a seller's market because everybody fancies themselves a buyer. The competition is really pretty stiff and most sellers have their choice. And so the key to success for a seller is again, really clearly know thyself, being self-aware, being honest, and being really rigorous about laying out the drivers. And again, the clearer you are, the more likely you are to sort of come up with the most appropriate short list of options. When I talk about the change in advisor sentiment, I'm talking about sentiment, meaning the things that drive a seller. What are the things that makes a seller want to do a deal or want to change the status quo? And when I started the business 20 years ago, the greatest motivator was short-term monetization, looking in some way to take some chips off the table to monetize the business in the short run. And while 
nobody who's doing a deal wouldn't want to protect their downside or de-risk a transaction as long as the long-term economics make sense, the big picture. It's much less about short-term upside. And that's incredibly gratifying for me as a deal maker because one, I think it's as it should be. And two, it means ultimately it's better for the clients. If their advisors are doing a deal, thinking about what's right overall, as opposed to being motivated simply by you know the best economics in the short term for the advisor, that to me is a much better win-win for all constituencies. Yeah, so many you used a, a term earlier. You know, you, you uh, just in this uh, last couple of minutes, uh, self awareness, and you know, I'm a big believer in that as well. And I, I sort of tie that to that part of the uh, your bio there, I, uh, where I said I loved it uh, as a champion for personal growth and a life of congruence. And then you also have this concept of best business life that you talk about. So I'd love you to expand on that and how that affects you know how you run your firm, but also how you work with the uh, with with the advisors and clients uh, in helping them make these decisions. Yeah, I love that question because that's what I'm all about. So whether it be because I'm 56 and, you know, sort of have come to view my own life a little differently than I might have 10, 15 years ago, or whether it be just because I've spent a lifetime professionally counseling people on how they want to live their business life, I think that while certainly the economics of a deal absolutely need to make sense, and if they don't, you're not going to do the deal. But you can never, one, look at any one aspect of a deal in a vacuum, including the economics. So said another way, no deal should ever be made simply because of the economics or only because of the economics. The economics should be one of the reasons why you choose to do a deal and who you choose to do it with. To me, a deal, a good deal should start with, or the motivations that for the deal should start with, what floats my boat? Who am I and what am I about? What feels good to me? So in our world, if I'm talking to an advisor that works for Merrill Lynch and he talks to me about the fact that he's being pushed to sell bank products and his payout's been cut and he's expected to grow his business or do certain things, bring in certain banking referrals or do certain things for clients that He's doing not necessarily because he thinks it's in the best interest of the client, but more because if he doesn't do those things, he loses X amount of comp. That is the perfect example of incongruence of where a potential seller or an advisor in my case, a candidate in my case, would look at a situation and say, is this situation really best serving me? Is this situation congruent with who I am? Do my values continue to match? the values of the firm with whom I work. So some great stuff from Mindy Diamond. Again, was back on episode five. Check it out, her full episode. A lot of insights way beyond this little excerpt that we had there. And it's a phenomenal lead into Marion Buchanan, who was on episode 17, because the discussion I had with Marianne in this excerpt really follows on the discussion that I had with, uh, with Mindy uh, back on her episode. You know, getting further into this discussion of the value propositions of, as a seller and that it's not all about the money and what is your differentiator and, you know, philosophical and cultural alignment. So check out the wisdom here from Marianne Buchanan coming up. If you were a buyer and you think, I'm going to be a buyer, you should go through sort of what is my value proposition? What can I offer to a seller that would help their clients first, right? Because it's not all about money. What can I bring to them that would be accretive to their clients? Secondly, what can I bring that's accretive to their staff and their firm 
and the advisor as a whole. So that's a lot of buyers kind of are, they have these blind spots about what they, you know, they have this laundry list of what they want out of an ideal client, a firm to buy, right? A seller. And they forget that there are so few sellers and that the buyer needs to look at what can I bring to the seller? Does that answer it? Yes. Yeah, so, no, no, no. I love that. And, and so, so I am a quote unquote buyer and I, and I say to you, um, listen, of course I have a value proposition, man. We're a great place to work and uh, we really care about our clients. Right. Right. And so what's the differentiator? <laughs> exactly. Which advisor, tell me an advisory firm that doesn't say they love their clients. They're there to take care of them. I look at, you know, I work with advisors every day and I spend time on their websites and it's just a sea of the sameness and it's very difficult, right? Yeah. You know, I, I, I say, you know, I sort of brought that up because I'm usually on the other side of that. I'm the one who's hearing, you know, because I asked that, I asked that same question, you know, sure. always with my clients. Listen, from my point of view, I mean, not, not that I, I consult or match people or do the things you do, but, you know, I, I have ongoing clients, right? And they'll often say to me, hey, Corey, we'd love to grow. If you know of anybody, just let me know. You know we're looking to acquire. And I say to them, okay, uh, well, do you have a target on, you know, who you're, who you're looking for? Do you know? Well, uh, you know, and sometimes it's muddled. Sometimes they know. You know, sometimes they have an idea, you know. They want to expand a particular geography or they have, a, you know, a particular um, type of expertise or whatever that they want to, you know, bring in, you know. But a lot of times they're like, uh, no, you know, we're just, we'd, like, we'd just like to grow. You know, if you know any good advisors, you know, they just, so they don't even have a target. And then also when I said, okay, what's your value proposition to them or why would they come to you? You know, I get what I sort of parroted back to you. You know, we're a great place to work. Right <laughs> No, that's right. The, the advisor needs to have a very clear understanding. The principal has to have a very clear understanding first before they decide who they want to buy. They have to have a very clear understanding of who they are as a firm. And that sounds easy, but it actually takes some work. You know, who are we? What is our, you know, what are we to our clients? What are we to our staff, to each other, right? And I know that sounds soft and, and light and, you know, quanti- qualitative, but until you can figure that out, you can't figure out your value proposition. And then you need to decide, as you said, Corey, you know, the who, right? First, the what we are, who do we want to bring on? Who do we, how do we want to grow? And um, you must ad- identify because, you know, again, size, location, you want to look at, you know, is there a match in business model, investment strategy, right? Philosophy and culture. So here's the thing. We all tend to gravitate toward the quantitative. First off, it makes us feel like a science, right? And so we want the quantitative. So we come in and we were like, oh, well, we're going to buy someone for you know, this EBITDA or this multiple of revenue or, or whatever, right? And we want this and we want that, all these numbers, this AUM size, that. And they find someone and those numbers line up because that's what they're focused on the numbers. And then all of a sudden, the deal blows up. Because they never stopped to check what is our philosophy and culture and are they aligned? So if those aren't aligned, it doesn't matter how great the numbers are. Yeah. Right? So what are some of the things in that area of philosophy and culture that, that can conflict that people should really be uh, focused on? Well, they want to, you know, let's, let's look at a number of different angles. So from a firm, right? Are you an open door policy firm or you... If, is everything very agenda-based, you know, very formal, right? Is everything a structured meeting on your calendar or can I just walk into an office? Something that simple. Do you hire because of a person's drive and what they can bring to the table, their skill set? Or is really the first thing you look at, 
did they, you know, did they graduate from a single syllable university? You know, and so is it more pedigree? Those kinds of things don't seem like a big deal, but that can be a very big deal. You know, are you trying to, there's a challenge right now in our culture of, in our world, there's about a 14% female participation in the wealth management. So they're like, we're going to get a woman. If we get a woman on here, this will just be great. I'm like, no, actually, you need to have to be the right fit. Look at men and women. And if it happens to be a woman and it's the right fit, that's great. But just to go out and say, I'm going to pick a gender and make it work, right? Oh, this is a woman. She's in the business. We'll pull her in. No, that's the philosophy and culture. Do they, is there a fit? Do you like the person, <laughs> right? Especially if they're not selling and leaving, right? And uh, because they tend to bring clients in that they get along with, that, you know, if the client is used to a certain, you know, they only deal with pedigree advisors, right? That won't be a good fit. So it, it, there's a trickle-down effect. So I appreciate that. Phenomenal wisdom from Marianne Buchanan. Again, check out episode 17, which was her full episode. And listen, you know, folks, I mean, the wisdom that uh, Lisa, Mindy, and Marianne have brought here, it's just really fundamental to how you get, especially M&A deals uh, done. And again, it applies across industries, uh, even though we're talking about in the RA space. The RA space is an interesting space, but, you know, any, any kind of service business, uh, you know, space that, you know, which is a lot of businesses out there, right, which is fundamentally a relationship-based business, these factors about, you know, just I mean, any company should be differentiating themselves, but how you differentiate yourself in a service business, how do you make yourself attractive to buyers, how you align your uh, vision and values with the the clients that you have, how do you deal with the clients that you're not aligned with, you know, which is the solution that Lisa's firm, uh, Facet Wealth, provides. So many great inspirations here, and I really appreciate those amazing women from the art industry uh, being on the, uh, what was the Fueling Deals podcast, now it's the DealQuest podcast. And uh, definitely check them out. Again, Lisa Rapuano, episode 35, Mindy Diamond, episode 5, Marion Buchanan, episode 17. Thanks to all of them for being on. And thank you, uh, listeners, for tuning in. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. You can be a friend of the show by leaving a review on the Good Pods app, podchaser.com or any major podcast player. Every review helps the show reach more listeners. If you're ready to take your deal making to the next level by becoming a master negotiator, head over to Amazon or Audible and grab a copy of my best-selling book, Authentic Negotiating. Then connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know your thoughts. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.